0: Well, I want to welcome you uh, to worship this morning, those uh, here attending at 9.30, those at the Well and the Well Cafe today. Uh, this coming Wednesday uh, we will have Starting Point, uh, which is an opportunity for those who have been visiting our church uh, for uh, maybe a short period of time or even those who have been visiting for a long time who uh, are interested in making a membership commitment to our church to, to do that in, that in that gathering. And we share with them uh, what our church is all about, our, our vision, our values, uh, what we what it means to be a member of the church, Uh, it it is both a time of affirmation of of who we are. It's also a time of warning of saying, hey, this is who we are. This isn't who who you are. This may not be the church for you. But when we have a a brief time of commitment, uh, one of the things that I always note is that we are now more than we once were because of the gifts and graces of each of those individuals who make a commitment to the life of the church. Every single person who unites with the church makes the church more than what it was before. And so you come to a weekend like this one, you come to an all saints focus. And I know that one of the temptations that we have is to think that now we are somehow less because those who have been among us and have blessed us and led us uh, are no longer here with us but have been received into eternal glory. But what I want you to think about today as we remember these saints, as we continue to pray for their families and, and we mark the ways in which they have blessed uh, our church in tremendous ways, uh, I, I, want, I want you to know that that's actually, it's not true that we're less, we're still more. Because the legacy of their life and their faith and all the things that they have done investing in this church have not only made it what, it's, what it is today, but it's also made you who you are today. And so we give them thanks, not only for the life that they live, but also for the life that continues, their life that continues in you. And the way that you live a life of faithfulness that is consistent with the life of faithfulness that they have modeled for each and every one of us. That's one of the reasons that we celebrate All Saints Day is we remember that we stand in line. We are reflections of those who have come before us, and we give God thanks for them and for their families. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to open that to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verses 15 through 20 is going to be our text for today. If you didn't bring your Bible with you in all of our worship spaces, uh, you will find that passage excuse me, on page 320 uh, in the Blue Bibles that we have available for us. Just a, a few things that I think you might uh, be interested in knowing, uh, that not only those here at 930, but uh, at The Well in The Well Cafe. Uh, Josh Roberts, uh, who just led you here at 930, leading worship today uh, in The Well, uh, he finished the Marine Corps Marathon last weekend. Uh, and as you can see, he's still up alive. Everything seems to be going well. So good job to, to Josh, uh, proud of him. uh, for that great accomplishment. And uh, Dylan and Larissa Peacock uh, just released uh, their first single, a song that uh, was birthed out of their ministry here called Hands and Feet. You've been blessed by it. Uh, Often you hear a song in worship and you say, where can I get that? Well, you can go to Spotify, you can go to iTunes, and you can get that as of this last Wednesday. So if you see Dylan or Larissa, please just express to them how proud you are of them. Uh, not only for their creativity and gifts, but for their willingness to bless the kingdom in sharing that. We are together uh, looking at what we believe is God's next step for our future together. In recent weeks, you've had the chance to, to gain some understanding of what that is. We've had campus tours where you can see the different aspects of Plans developed by our building planning team and and our lay leaders to address current needs, but also future needs. We have, as of week three, we've made it even easier for you. You don't even have to walk around. We now have a virtual tour. So, you can go on on your device. You can just watch the video. It'll take you to all the different places. Uh, You can see that. You can find that on uh, our church's website. I I post it on Facebook, so you can go uh, and see that. We want you to do that. Because we want everyone in our church to have clarity, because clarity is a prerequisite for unity. Clarity is a prerequisite for unity. I cannot be on the same page with you if I do not know what page you are on. Clarity is a prerequisite for unity, and unity is a word that connects so well with what we have established as the theme word for this series, which is the word together, that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9, which you see here, two are better than one because a good return comes when two work together. As we look at a big next step, we know that none of us can do that by ourselves. It's, it's a step that we can only take together. The other thing I've shown you uh, each week is the image of this rope. I decided just to uh, thread it through this table so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, but, but this rope is a reminder of what we find just a few verses later. Solomon talks about a triple-braided cord not being easily broken. So, this uh, is a triple-braided cord that by the end of this series, it may not be. I mean, it's kind of falling apart. But, uh, But you see here three main strands of this rope. Each strand has an additional number of strands, and each individual strand is made up of individual fibers woven together. So we've talked about that the strength of this rope is in the unity of each fiber together. And that same thing is true of you. It's true of our life together as we look to the future, that it is is in our unity, is in our binding ourselves together. Each of us willing to commit to, to do what we can to enable God's future to become a reality. That's where our strength come and that's where our capacity comes from. Is in, is in what we choose to do together. We're doing all this, uh, I, I've shared with you a couple big picture ideas that I, that I just want to invite you to continue to claim as a church family as we move forward. The first is there are more than enough resources to achieve God's dreams. There are more than enough resources to achieve God's dreams. Faith always moves us beyond the, the mindset of scarcity faith always reminds us that we serve an abundant god a god who not only calls us but a god who equips us and a god who goes with us this is not some pie in the sky optimism that says well maybe somebody somewhere will make this happen it's a recognition that steps of faith are hard if they weren't hard they wouldn't be steps of faith they are challenging they require sacrifice Often more sacrifice than we realize, even at the very beginning of that, of that journey. There are, uh, there are invitations to trust God, the God who calls us and equips us and go with us. But, uh, but I want us to claim together that there are more than enough resources. God is equipped. God is called. God will go with us. More than enough resources to enable God's dreams. And then last week we talked about that, that, that building a building is about much more than a building. Everything that we do together, regardless of what expression it takes, everything that we do together is for the purpose of changing lives. Brick and mortar, serving in our community, uh, investing in the scriptures, praying together, all of that is for the goal of changing lives. It's all focused in that particular way. And, and so as you think about the worship space uh, that you are in today, and you and you think about the beauty of that space, you think about what's meaningful to you about that space, you think about what it is that is, in your opinion, sacred about that space. Uh, whether whether you're here in the sanctuary and you see the stained glass and you, you think about what that means to you and how that for you makes this sacred space or 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 if you're in the chapel today and you you think about the the beautiful rock wall that is there and that cross that's at the top, or or you're upstairs in the cafe and you think about the intimacy of that space and the the people that you interact with. All of those things that you see, uh, those are not what makes this place holy. None of those are what, what, what makes these spaces sacred consecrated set apart what makes them holy is the work that happens there what makes them holy and sacred what makes them worthy of being consecrated is the fact that they are dedicated to the work of God's grace impacting the needs of our world and the needs of our lives That's what makes that space holy, that's what makes us treasure it, that's what makes it meaningful. Not that brick and mortar and all of the different elements are formed in such a way that we look at it and we say, this is aesthetically pleasing, but what happens? In the context of that space, the work of the church, which is always focused towards changing lives, and as we continue this theme of thinking about a, a, a building being much more than a building, the, and today we're talking about leading together, this is, this is the only way I could think of to start it. I want to begin by just simply naming that this is something that every single one of you care about. If you're here for the very first time, or if you've been here uh, — you've been a member here for decades, all of you care about this. And not only do all of you who are here care about this, every single person who you will see or interact with today, tomorrow, all of them care about it. The whole world cares about this. Every single person cares about this, regardless of, uh, of their particular creed or faith. We all care about this. You could express it lots of different ways, uh, but I will express it with this question. Where is our world heading? All of you care about that. All of you think about that. All of you engage with this question on, uh, on some level. Some of you do it in perhaps what you would describe as a healthy way. Some of you do it in a very unhealthy way. But all of us engage with this question, where is our world heading? Last night as I was leaving worship, I was given an opportunity to share with you an additional sermon illustration. That often happens in the life of a pastor. Sermon illustrations just show up out of nowhere, and you're reminded that your job description has just one more thing on it. So last night, the officer that we had here said, hey, by the way, someone put some graffiti on the fence uh, that is on this side of our campus. Okay. well. Where's our world heading? Oh my gosh, what does it say? And, and then he told me what it said. And I said, oh no, it can't say that tomorrow. <laughs> so this is what it says today. If you go by and look, it, it, it says God is big enough. Now I'll, I'll confess, We'll okay, put that back up. This is, uh, the God is big enough is my graffiti. Okay, it's covering up everything that's, uh, that's down here. Uh, but you see something like that. You say, where's our world heading? What's going on? Who, who would go to a church and put whatever was put there, which I'm not going to tell you, right there so that the pastor at the end of Saturday night has to go to Walmart and buy some spray paint and fix it. (laughs) So that 2,000 people don't pull into the parking lot and go, what in the world is happening at this church? Where's our world heading? This Tuesday, we're going to have an election. Are you aware of that? Has that rumor reached you by, by chance? I don't know. You may not have heard about it. There's gonna be an election this Tuesday. Uh, One of the reports that I read this week uh, was that when all is said and done, all the races, everything all in, all together, five billion dollars will have been spent on the elections. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of money to me. Five billion dollars. The plans that we have brought before you — I want you to know the price tag is less than five billion dollars, (laughs) okay? That seems like a lot of money. Uh, I, I hope you go and vote. I hope you participate. I think you should, uh, as, as you should exercise your right uh, as, a, as a citizen. Uh, but I think you should as a, as, a, as, a, as a person who has claimed a conviction that you believe in Jesus. I think that's something that you should do. I think you should participate in the the world in which we live, in electing leadership for your your city, for your state, for your nation. I think that's a great thing that you should do. But here's what I also know. I know that all of us are going to wake up on Wednesday morning, and we're going to look at the results of that election. And some of us are immediately, without even really thinking about it, we're going to immediately feel this, this sense of elation. Oh Good. This is so great. This is what I wanted to happen. And some of us are going to be so discouraged and disappointed and think, oh my gosh, where where is our world heading? Because it's a question that we all ask. Where is our world heading? And, And I want you to hear that not only as a shared concern, but also one that's not new. It's not new. It is not particular to the circumstances in which we are living today. It is not new. And let me just prove it to you just in case you don't believe me. Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, verses 15 through 20 is what I'm gonna read to you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites on behalf of God. They have traveled, uh, they have made the journey from slavery. They're on the brink of entering into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is really the last words of instruction, warning, encouragement that Moses, the leader who had led them throughout that entire journey, Moses wants to give to them. Listen to what, what he says beginning in verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws and then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down before other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long. In the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life and He will give you many years in the land He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." Now first off, you could read that or understand that as the words of of a, perhaps in your mind, a vengeful, vindictive God of a God who says, I want you to do it my way. There's no other way, you gotta do it my way. If you don't do it my way, I'm gonna punish you, but if you do it my way, I'll give you some treats. I'll take care of you. But I would encourage you to think about it this way. If you've ever had kids, you know, a, a young kid who's, who's hanging around the kitchen uh, and mom or dad is, is, is uh, messing with the stove. And and, and you, you you tell them something really important because you know it's important for them to hear that, that 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 it's something they need to know if they're gonna be in the kitchen while mom and dad is around the stove. Uh, you say something like this. This is hot. Why do you say that? Because if they put their hand on it, it's gonna hurt. And what did all of you do when your parents did that? When they told you that? Oh, whoa, it's hot. You you wanted to test it out. It's the same thing. I've set before you life and death. I've set before you prosperity and destruction. I've set before you the the opportunity to avoid pain and the opportunity to experience pain. It's time for you to make a good decision about what you will do. In Deuteronomy, Moses brings before the, the community these words from God You get to choose the kind of world that you will make. It's your choice. You get to choose. No one's going to force you this way or that way. You get to choose the kind of world that you will make. You get to choose what you will say. You get to choose how you will respond. You get to choose what relationships you invest in. You get to choose what decisions that you make. And, And whether you're thinking about something as broad as the world or maybe just the scope of your own family, you get to choose, don't you? You get to choose whether you sow in the lives of others words of encouragement and blessing and hope, and you get to choose for whatever reason to sow words in the lives of others that is words that are very different and lead to a a very different outcome. You get to choose the kind of world that you will make, but don't forget that whatever world you make will be the world in which you live. Now back up with me. Remember who these people are? These are the Israelites. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God comes to the father of this nation, Abraham. And what God says to him is, I want to make a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, here's the last part that we often forget, in you all peoples of the world will be blessed. In other, world, in other words, page one, the very beginning of this covenant that God makes with the Israelites, the scope was never just about the Israelites. The scope was always the whole world. I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to develop a relationship with you. I'm going to order your life. I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to show you the difference between life and destruction. I'm going to do this in you so that you can then share that with others. The life that you live is a a life that should be one that blesses all peoples of the world. And so you put that together with Deuteronomy 30 and what do you have? You have have God saying, I've set before you life and destruction, prosperity and something very different. And, and, And you will have to bear the consequences of that. You get to choose the world that you will make and you will have to live in the world that you make. And the world that you make is not only the world in which you will live, but it's the world in which all people will live. And so the blessings that you sow, the blessings that you bring, are blessings that will reverberate through all others. And so will the curses and the destruction be. Or or maybe you might remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, Uh, he's there beside the Sea of Galilee, and gathered around him are the poor, lost remnant of Israel. I mean, these are people who have nothing, no power, no authority. They're a marginalized people. And to them, he says, you are the light of the world. (laughs) A city on a hill. You don't hide that uh, underneath a bowl. It's something that should give light to to, to all. And so let your good deeds shine so that people might glorify your Father in heaven. And you can imagine that some of them are like, who is he talking to? He doesn't know who we are. Right before then, Matthew 5, verse 13, he, he says it in a different way. You, you've probably heard the, the beginning phrase, but the warning that is here is, is perhaps even more important for us to remember. Before he refers to them as the light of the world, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty Again, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it ever be made salty again? If the salt of the earth, if if the people whom God calls to to be light and hope, to, to help model decisions that lead to life and relationships that lead to life rather than a life that leads to destruction, if If the light of the world goes out, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it ever be made salty again? And I I can't really illustrate what that would look like. You know, if if we were to think about where the world is heading, and just imagine a world where the salt has just lost its saltiness. I don't even know how to describe that. I don't even know how to, to think about that. But you've heard me say in wees- recent weeks that I believe that God believes in you, that I know your leadership believes in you. I believe in you. I know because I've done the work of looking back and, and researching the history, I know that you are a church that has never lost sight of the fact that your life is about changing lives. I know that you are a church who has never bought into the lie that the church belongs to you, so it's just about your needs and your hopes and, and, and just your spirit experience and making sure that, that that continues. That's not who you are. That's not who you've ever been. You're a church that does great things, and you've consistently done so. So I can't, I can't describe for you what it looks like for the salt to lose its saltiness, but But I can share with you today, not in my own words, but in the words of those who uh, have, uh, have been the first-hand witnesses of your faithfulness, I can help you understand who you already are and who, we pray, we will continue to be. Watch this video. First Methodist has always been a leader. It had the uh, reputation of being a caring church. Primarily just the, the volunteer spirit. A ready, willing partner to meet any need. You can usually go in there and say, hey listen, we've got this going on in the community, and is there anybody we can get to help? Whenever you're looking for go-to people, you go to, go to Mansfield Methodist. That has really served to benefit every resident in Mansfield, regardless of their religion or their faith the Stepping Stones program, the Night to Shine with Tim Tebow, some of the respite programs. So we've watched quite a few of our kids come out of their shell. The church's uh, vision for the Wesley Mission Center, the then Wesley Mission Center, is quite remarkable. Community leaders, uh, our mayor, folks always acknowledge where this organization started and uh, give thanks to First Methodist for allowing the organization to uh, move outside of the walls of the church and uh, move off campus eventually from the church to be able to partner more broadly. Well, oftentimes in my position we see families that are in crisis or or kids that are in need. I think about 37 percent of uh, our students who attend Mansfield Independent School District are on free or reduced lunch. And I saw firsthand where uh, First United Methodist was actively involved in Common Ground Network and, and meeting those needs of the most vulnerable in our community. The Big Hope program is the mentorship program we have here. First Methodist has volunteers they are paired with an individual student not for a year but for their entire stay with us and beyond that in some cases they just light up to know this person has come to the school today to see me specifically me. Uh, The Bethlehem Church for years has been uh, serving at the Old Negro Cemetery on Good Friday. Go out, clean it up or what have you. You know, all of them got on board uh, to uh, say, you know, can we come out? And they came out. As a matter of fact, uh, we had never done that uh, uh, length, that extension of cleaning ever before, but it got done. So now every year. We have our run with heart in January. The weather's not always perfect. It can be cold, it can be raining, it can be sleeting and snowing. First Methodist Mansfield is always there for Methodist Mansfield in that activity. Um, And it makes a huge difference for us, for our patients, and for the community. The program cover the badge. There's an officer that's covered in prayer by a particular stranger. Then they went on to provide uh, uh, backpacks believe it or not, for some of our inmates that were being released because we had homeless that were being released from our jail that a lot of times it didn't have the basic essentials. We had Hurricane Harvey and this community, this church, this community, combined with our school system to make sure that every single kid in Bloomington got a Christmas present. So we didn't just meet a need. We overwhelmingly met a need. We celebrated this summer the fact that uh, there was a fence that divided that cemetery uh, that was from the vestiges of segregation that came down in August of 2018. That began with a joint prayer session so we celebrated that together. So uh, that's what First Methodist means to this community. I started coming here with my daughter Shelby when she started participating in the uh, Stepping Stones. A couple years after she graduated, she continued to volunteer. And then Amanda decided she wanted to hire Shelby. I would like to off- offer the job to Shelby Crow. <laughs> oh, Thinking back to the... To the single building that was much smaller you know that I remember as a you know as a, a kid in high school to look in at what's been built today uh, it's it's amazing I'm Clayton Chandler your city manager Jerry Ritchie and I am the president of common ground network of Mansfield Michael Evans and I am the pastor at the Bethlehem Baptist Church' Ms. Priscilla Sanchez I am with the city of Mansfield Christy Cawthon, I am the transition and vocational coordinator at Mansfield ISD John Phillips president of Methodist Mansfield Medical Center David Cook Mayor of the City of Mansfield. Angela Crow, Shelby Crow's mom. I'm David Thayer, I'm the principal of Alice Ponder Elementary. Tracy Aaron, I'm the Mansfield Police Chief. Jim Bashaskis, I'm Superintendent of Schools. Carmen McMillan, and I'm the Executive Director of the Mansfield Mission Center. And I'll have to say all at the end here's what we are United. On January 11, 2015, I became your senior pastor, and the very next week I shared with you a brief — well, not brief — but I, I shared with you a statement uh, that I thought at the time defined our current reality. Uh, it's a statement that I think s- continues to define our current reality. It is this, you are a significant church serving in a growing community in a radically changing world in which the Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant. You are a significant church and you need to know that. You're a significant church in the family that is the United Methodist Church, but you are also a significant church in this community. What you do matters. People notice. Other churches notice. You model a way of life that is important. You're significant. You are planted in a growing community and you are living at a time where the world is experiencing radical change. Whether you like it or not, you are planted in a growing community in a world that is experiencing radical change. Every once in a while I hear and I feel, let me say, I hear and I feel, I think, I I just wish things would slow down a little bit. I wish I wish the world wasn't growing so fast. We all experience the, the pains of that. We we think about our experience and what life is and how we want it just to be preserved and what we what we know. But here's here's the reality. This is where God has planted you. And every single person that is coming into this community, God cares about. And this is the community that you have called, been called to serve and the, and the ministry that you share, it's harder today than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago because we live in a radically changing world. And in that radically changing world, it is a reality that the Christian faith is increasingly seen as irrelevant. That's a reality we have to face. We have to be, uh, we have to acknowledge that and understand where that comes from and and, uh, be wise in our response to that. The world that you live in does not encourage the faith that you trust in. Which is why it's important for us to know salt can lose its saltiness. And I don't know about you, but I have no interest in being a part of a church that was once the salt of the earth but has lost its saltiness. I bet you don't have any interest in that either. The leadership of this church, how we lead together, let me just give you three ways where I see this church shaping the future, molding the world that is being made. First is the light of your living. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the product of the church is you. You are our widgets. You are what is rolling off the assembly line. You are what we are sending into the world. It's you. It's your life. It's the life that you live every single day. It's the family that you are creating for yourself. It's the way in which you engage with your coworkers at work. It's the things that you say and the things that you choose not to say. It's the light of your living. You are the evidence of the vitality of this family of faith. It's you. It is not, though we often think it is, it's not how great the music is, although I think it's great. It's not how good the sermon is, though I will say I tried really hard. (laughs) But nothing I say has any meaning, value, significance if it doesn't have meaning and value and significance for you because you're what comes off the assembly line. And when you think about the light of your daily living, you recognize that there is also at times, there's the leverage of your influence. And sometimes that happens because of a particular circumstance or opportunity. It's because you live this out so consistently, someone in your sphere of influence, when they find themselves at a place of need where they don't know where to turn, you're the person they turn to because they've seen something in you. They saw the way you handled that, uh, that problem that you had at work. They, they saw the way you handled that disappointment or, or, or you were the one who shared a word of encouragement at another time in their life and you have leverage with them because of a circumstance or an opportunity. Some of you have leverage because of the position that you have. Some of you have leverage because of the position that you have. I have leverage and influence that I do not deserve. And I have not earned, only because I'm your pastor. I can say things that, that people will actually listen to, and I don't even know why they're listening. Well, it's because of you. It's because of who you are. It's because I represent you, and, and because of that, that word that I might share means more to others even though I did nothing to deserve it. Now interestingly enough, the leverage of influence that comes from position, when people find themselves in those places of position, usually what we tend to do is just try try to protect ourselves in our position rather than recognizing that there is an opportunity that is there because of the influence that is offered. The last thing is the life, the life that we model. Go, Go ahead and go back to that graffiti picture for just a moment. Again, where's our world heading? Why is somebody, why is somebody putting graffiti on the fence by the church? I don't know. But just in case you've forgotten, our kids built that fence. Our kids built that fence. And they built that fence to bless, to bless our neighbors. They built that fence because they said, you know what? In this neighborhood next to us, we, we can see that there's some needs over there. Why don't we just go take care of those needs? They built a beautiful fence, and and we'll fix that, we'll we'll cover it up better than I did. You think about where the world is heading and you see things that discourage you, you, but then you remember, our kids built that fence. As a student of history, here's one of the things I know for sure. If we as the church do not proclaim and defend the dignity and value of all people, no one else will. No one else will. And this is somewhat current rather than future, but it affects the future. The church has to stop expecting someone else to do what we are supposed to do and what we are called to do. We're the people who are called to do it, to share those words. So here's what I want to close with I want you to vote on Tuesday because that's important. I think that's important. I was so uh, proud of the fact that when I went to vote on, on, on Tuesday, uh, three of the volunteers, they were members of our church, they were, they were investing in their city and, and in those elections. I think that's great. I know many of you volunteer in, in our local schools. You serve on PTA, you help with dad's clubs, you, you go on field trips, all that's wonderful stuff. I'm glad that you do it. Some of you are invested in your local university, you support your university. That's a good thing. Higher education is a good thing. It's important. We want that for our kids. We want that for our future. You're invested in your community in the various ways that, that you serve. I appreciate that you as a church, you recognize that first responders in our community are their servants. They serve to protect us and, and, to, and to keep us safe. And so you bless them in tremendous ways. We appreciate hospitals and the way that they enhance the life of our community. There's so many things that are important, they're good. We should all be involved in that. And I appreciate that you as a church are are but I want you to hear there is nothing that is more important than the church there is nothing that is more important than the church there is nothing that is more worthy of your investment than the church because the church is often it's often the place where we are willing to say what no one else is willing to say to help those who no one else is willing to help, to bring life into places where no one else is willing to go. That's what makes us the salt of the earth. And part of why we do what we do and we look to the future is we don't ever want to be a place where we would say, they're not very salty anymore. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for the heritage of our church. We give you thanks today for the saints who have gone before us. And we give you thanks, Lord, that today we come to this same table. And we remember that at at the core of all of this is your love and your grace poured out for us and for the entire world. And so even as we break this bread today, Lord, we remember the words that you shared with your disciples inviting them to do the same in remembrance of you, your broken body shed for us. We thank, Lord, of this cup, the cup of what you described as the new covenant, your blood poured out for you and for many. And Lord, as we think about your body broken and your blood shed, remind us that you've sent us to do the same. You've sent us to be your people, to be your body, to serve your world, to invite the world to choose life. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Amen.